Friends, we continue in our summer sermon series titled God's Vocabulary. This week we visit the book of John. Chapters 13 through 17 in John are what is commonly referred to as the farewell discourse, the final words of Jesus to his disciples at the Last Supper before the events that will soon follow, his arrest, his trial, his death, and of course, his resurrection. It is from that farewell discourse that we are introduced to our word this day, the word lament. Let us listen now once more for God's word, hearing this verse from the 16th chapter of John's gospel. Jesus speaks to his disciples, saying, Very truly I tell you, you will weep and you will mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we gather this day as people whose hearts are in many different places. Some of us gather with hearts full of joy and hope for what is soon to be, for what is. And yet others come with hearts that feel as if something is missing. Wherever and however it is we come to this space today, O God, we pray that your spirit will be at work. That through the words of my mouth and through the meditations of all of our hearts, you will guide us to a place of deeper faith, to a place of closer following. For it is you and you alone who we seek to follow. We pray all this, O God, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So I have to confess, for a brief moment this past week, I thought about calling an audible, about changing up our word for today. Because let's be honest, lament isn't necessarily the most happy word. Lament can seem, at least at first glance, to be a bit of a downer, even. Frankly, I I think my temptation to change the word is somewhat reflective of the fact that we are a people and a culture who just aren't all that good at talking about lament. You turn on the TV and there's a TV show or a movie and in one scene the whole cast of characters is at a funeral or maybe there's a couple and they have some sort of devastating breakup and your heart is torn with them but then by the very next scene they seem to be getting along just fine. I think about the fact that anytime we go up to someone and we say, so how are you doing? And they say anything other than, I'm good. There's that awkward silence. Well, actually, it's funny you ask. Oh. Barbara Brown Taylor, who I talk about, points out that even in churches, we're not always that good at talking about lament. She coined this term that has stuck with me ever since I read it. She talks about some churches as being full solar churches. 
There are these churches where it's just sunshine and happiness all the time. The music, the liturgy, the preaching, no room for pain, no room for confession that maybe you didn't have a great week. It's just let's all be happy and get happier. Bull solar churches. I almost didn't preach on lament. And then I remembered what I told the kids last Sunday when I sat up here with them for the children's moment. I started the worship by confessing to everyone, just blurting out loud that I'm a mess. And I sat down with the kids and I told them, you know, the reason I'm a mess is because my heart is sad. My heart was sad last Sunday. It was sad about last Saturday. It was sad about waking up that very morning and reading about another shooting, not a mile from where my parents live, not a mile from where I grew up in a community of faith that formed me and shaped me as a follower of Jesus Christ. I told them my heart was sad, and I think what I might have been trying to tell them but not quite having the right word just then was that I was lamenting. You see, lament is more than just an emotion. It's more than just feeling sad. And I think a lot of us are lamenting, and not just national tragedy. I think many of us are lamenting for and over loved ones. Many of us are lamenting bygone days. We're lamenting hurt that has been inflicted upon us, whether real or perceived. We're lamenting our loneliness. I've read a number of places lately, people writing about, particularly in our culture and in our nation, that there is an epidemic of loneliness taking root. See, lament, it's more than sadness. Lament, I think, is perhaps better described as being like a void. Lament happens when something in us is suddenly missing. It's that moment when we suddenly realize that the past is not something we can ever get back to, no matter how hard we try. And in the same moment, realizing that the future, it will not, no matter how hard we try, it will not include someone some group, some idea, some system, some anything that has given our lives shape and structure to that point. It will never be there again. Lament is that void that opens in that moment. And what I find really interesting from a pastoral perspective is that the Bible, it tells all kinds of stories about people living with lament. Our first reading today from the 22nd Psalm, we're used to hearing that around Good Friday each year as Jesus cries out, but what he's really doing is speaking out loud the 22nd Psalm, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's lament. Jesus, in our reading from John's Gospel, he turns to his friends and he tells them, you will weep, you will mourn, you will grieve. I mean, heck, there's even a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations. It's about lament. It's this book that when you plow through it, you encounter the the utter and total despair and pain and loneliness that we sometimes experience in life being reflected back to you from these people writing thousands of years ago. 
I remember this story about a young priest who had just begin, begun her first call. And she was asked by the church to go and visit an elderly gentleman living in a skilled nursing facility there in their community. And when she went and knocked on the gentleman's door, she found someone whose face was cold and like stone. She sat by this man, and yet he refused to look at her or speak to her. Her pastoral instincts were good, though, because she decided against trying to engage this sort of closed-off person in idle chit-chat. Instead, she opened her Bible to the Psalms, and she began reading, began reading Psalms of Comfort, Psalms that spoke of God's presence with God's people. But still the man's face, it remained like stone, unmoved. Still he didn't even look at her, didn't speak a word. And so after a few minutes of that, she decided to change course. And she flipped a couple pages and she opened up to a psalm of lament. A psalm like that 22nd psalm. My God, my God, she read. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? And no sooner had she finished reading one of those psalms of lament that this man turned to her and he looked her in the eye and he said to her, Finally, somebody who knows how I feel. You know, the Bible, it could easily skim over all of this lament. The Bible could easily shape itself into being a full solar Bible. Could easily leave out psalms like that one. But it's there. Throughout the scriptures, there are these stories of lament as if to say, this is part of God's story too. That God knows lament. That God notices lament. That even when we feel tossed aside, God is at work. God climbs down into that void and sits with us. Every time I think about this word lament, I think about a book that has sat on my shelf for a number of years. It's by a Christian philosopher named Christopher, or rather Nicholas Wolterstorff. Wolterstorff lost his son at age 25 in a mountain climbing accident. And he began keeping a journal of his grief, of the turmoil that he was living through. And some years later, with encouragement of friends, he published his reflections, his writings, in a book called Lament for a Son. And it's amazing his writing to read it because in it, it's clear that he's, he's not writing as a person who has no hope. But he is writing as a person who has something to say when all of us feel tempted to approach people like him and offer up pious sounding messages. He writes in one place in the book, he says, please don't, don't say that it's really not that bad because it is. Death, he writes, is awful. It's demonic. So if you think that your task as comforter is to tell me that really all things considered it's not so bad, then you don't sit with me in my grief 
Instead, you place yourself off in the distance from me. And over there, you're of no help. What I need to hear, he says, what I need to hear from you is that you recognize how painful it is. I need to hear from you that you are with me in my desperation. To comfort me, you have to come close. He has this great image. He says, you have to come and sit beside me on my morning bench. M-O-U-R-N. On my morning bench. I read those words some years ago, and I continue to reflect on them, and I think they've taught me two important things about lament. The first is that lament is not to be avoided. If you have that instinct like I had to detour around it, it's probably a pretty good sign that you actually need to head straight for it. Because ignoring or avoiding lament in our lives, it can actually lead to a kind of spiritual impoverishment. There's a theologian named Henry Mitchell, and he says, without the benchmark of lament as a basis for a kind of measurement of one's joy, there's no way to know that it is joy in the first place. How can any of us truly know what joy feels like if we have not also experienced the feeling of lament? There's no way to know that it's joy. And as a result, there's no cause for praise either. It's taught me that lament is not to be avoided. But the other and perhaps more important thing it's taught me is that presence is actually more important than words. It's really funny about this one, because this word in God's vocabulary, I think, is actually an instruction for all of us that it's okay if we don't have words. Presence is greater than words. Comfort and healing so often comes, comes from presence rather than words. When we lament, in other words, God sits with us. And when others lament, then we are called to be people who go and sit with them. That's the whole idea behind ministries like Stephen Ministry in our congregation. It's a ministry of presence. Come and sit and listen to someone in their grief, in their lament. There's the wonderful Jewish practice of sitting shiva, where for a week, people just come and sit with someone in their family who is grieving. You know the power that presence can have when that knock comes the day after on your door, and there's that neighbor or that friend with their basket of knitting needles and yarn, and they're there just to sit. They don't want to talk. They just want to be. Presence is greater than words. I was thinking about all this when I noticed that our opening hymn today was that wonderful African-American spiritual called There is a Balm in Gilead. I don't know if you all read the little note at the bottom of that page for that hymn, but at the bottom of that page it talks about how that hymn is based off Jeremiah 8. So Jeremiah was one of the major prophets at the same time sort of the Psalms are being written. Jeremiah is off in exile with the Israelite people who have been torn from their home in Jerusalem and sent to live in a far off country. And there they live through years and generations of utter despair and torment. And in the eighth chapter of Jeremiah's book, 
It ends with three questions, the first of which is this, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no balm in Gilead? That question, that lamenting that is so prevalent in Jeremiah, it resonated with the experience of African-American slaves in our own nation's history who, too, had been torn from their own homes and sent to live in a far-off land. Howard Thurman is a name I've mentioned before. He's a 20th-century African-American theologian, and he wrote a little bit about this hymn, Is There a Balm? There is a Balm, rather, in Gilead. And he writes about the history of the hymn, hymn, saying, The slave caught the mood of the spiritual dilemma that is present in Jeremiah. But with that dilemma, the slaves did an amazing thing. You see, the slaves took that question, is there a balm in Gilead? And they straightened the question mark into an exclamation point. There is a balm in Gilead, that hymn says. The refrain, there is a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. They took that question mark and they pulled it into an exclamation mark. Friends, you see, the other side of lament is the exclamation mark. If we were to hold lament in our hands, whatever it is in our lives today, and study it, and then after a time turn it over and look at the other side, what we would find is praise. Because lament is the very thing that helps us to measure the true weight of joy. Without lament, how can we know true joy? It's only when we face the question marks of life can they be transformed into the exclamation points of life. And when they are, when they are pulled out straight, that's when we feel within ourselves welling up that exclamation of the hymn, yes, there is a balm in Gilead. So here's the thing, I don't know I don't know your lament today. But I do know that all of us, in one way or another, we are lamenting something. There are question marks in this sanctuary right now that have not yet been straightened. There are voids that we are living with, both big and small. There are mourning benches, and you may be sitting on one right now without even knowing it. There are people who are waiting waiting on those benches in this place today, waiting for someone to come and tell them it'll be okay. To tell them that they know how they feel. I don't know what your place of lament is, but I know we are all lamenting. And with that, I also know this. I also know that God knows. Because this is part of God's story. I know that God has a word, even when we do not. I know that God works in those voids. I know that God draws near and sits with us on those benches. I know that like a sunrise, there's a couple I know in this community who have experienced deep, profound darkness. And this past week, they celebrated an anniversary of sorts, a marking point 
from a time that they once were in to the time they are in now. And the, the woman, she wrote this amazing thing. She said, even though we have known terrifying darkness, we have also known the resilient light belonging to our God, shoving its way through. But she says that that light is like a sunrise. She says it's, it's, it's not like a blinding light. It's subtle at first, and it causes you to think, wait, is it getting brighter out here? And as you keep sitting where you are, you suddenly find yourself surrounded by warm sun, by a fresh morning. I know that that's how God's love works. It shoves its way through subtle and slowly, but it is there, working nonetheless. And though I don't know when or how, I know too that one day, one day, perhaps not so far off, God will gather together all of our collective grief, and God will transform it into joy. Friends, in that hope and in that promise, we say amen and thanks be to God. Mm -hmm.